The uh, text for the communion meditation is Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7. It's concerning the uh, birth of Isaac. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. Father, please open our ears to understand your word and to apply it in our lives. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, This uh, first and second verse is just beautiful. And the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the set time in which God had spoken to them. Uh, Sarah was not just old. She was way old. She was too old to be having children. Genesis 18.11 says that Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. And literally what is said is the manner of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So we know that it was impossible for her because she wasn't producing any eggs anymore. It just wasn't possible for her to have a baby as she had. She was 90 years old when she gave birth to Isaac. That Sarah had a child was not amazing. It was miraculous. And obviously, we are reminded of another miraculous birth in Scripture when we read about Isaac, the miracle baby. We're reminded of Jesus, the miracle baby. So I have seven similarities between the birth of Isaac and the birth of Jesus. One of them we just covered, and that's the actual birth. Uh, Second, this miracle birth for each was foretold. In Genesis 15, 4, God told Abram, one who will come from your own body. Now then we know that Ishmael came, but God said, no, that's not him. Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So both of these sons were promised long beforehand. To Abraham, they had been essentially promised 25 years earlier when God called his family out of Ur of the Chaldees. He had promised to make him a great nation. You can't become a great nation if you don't have children. So now also the next one is there is a long time between the promise and fulfillment. I just said there are 25 years between the promise and the fulfillment with Abraham. But with Jesus, there was almost 600 years between the promise and the fulfillment. Both women disbelieved when initially told that they were going to have a baby. You remember Mary said, but how can this be, Lord? I do not have a man. And yet, the very next sentence, after she had been assured that she would have a baby, she said, let it be to me as you have said. So faith came but only after that initial knee-jerk reaction to no, that's not possible. And Hebrews 11.11 says this, Sarah received strength to conceive through faith. 
So see, we know that she believed what God had said, even though she'd laughed. When she was reprimanded for her laughter, faith came. Faith came in its place. Both babies were named before birth. God had told Abram that his son would be named uh, Isaac, and also the angel told Mary that her son would be named Jesus. Both babies were born when God chose. Genesis 21.2 says, at the set time of which God had spoken. It was God who brought about Isaac at the moment when he wanted him to come about, when Abraham was 100 years old, no sooner. Galatians 4.4 says, when the fullness of time had come, the virgin gave birth to the baby. So God's timing, unlike for the most of us, we believe our babies come on our timing. And for, for our reasoning, perhaps they do. But yet here, we're explicitly told, no, these babies were miracle babies. They came on God's timetable. Both sons, and this is the seventh, the last illustration, both sons were a joy to their father. Uh, Genesis 22.2 speaks of uh, this being the culmination of Abraham's hopes. Isaac, all of his love is placed upon him. Your son, your only son even. This is what the angel of the Lord said to uh, we'll get to that next time, but I just wanted to bring up that he refers to him as your son, your only son, Isaac. And in Matthew 3.17, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So both fathers are very, very pleased with their sons. So these are seven similarities between Isaac's birth and Jesus' birth. Now Isaac, of course, we're talking about uh, types, and this is titled Jesus and Isaac, and Isaac is a type of Christ. And yet... What does it mean for us, especially this one? What does this type mean? And what is the fulfillment of this promise in bringing about Isaac mean to us? If you look from Genesis 11, and we think of Genesis 11 as being the Tower of Babel, but it also goes on to proclaim the uh, state of Abraham, Abram at the time. And it says that Sarah was barren. Sarai at that time was barren. So the culmination of what I just read, 21 verses 1 through 7, really began back at the end of chapter 11. So for 10 chapters, we've seen the story of Abram and Sarai unfold. And this is the capstone. But let's recover, cover all that. It's been 25 years. Abram was 75 years old when he was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And he was promised to be made a mighty nation. And yet at that time, even Sarah was barren. She was already 65 years old, and she had never had a child. Then God calls them. In Genesis 12, verses 1 and 2, we have the call. Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I'll make you a great nation. I will bless you. So now years have passed. Ten years have passed. And Sarai has an idea. You're going to be this great nation. Well, I'm going to help. And so she gives him Hagar. Do we see Abram say, oh, no, no, Sarah? No, we don't see him oppose it at all. And to me, it harkens back to Adam and Eve. Eve comes up with this idea. Adam does not rebuke her. And here we have Sarah, Sarai, with this idea. And Abram does not rebuke her. But the very next verse, Hagar conceives And she looks with disdain upon Sarai. And Sarai turns to Abram and said, you did this. He did? Yes, he did. He's the leader. She blames him rightfully. He should have not done this. 
And now he knows, uh-oh, now I'm in trouble. You know, sometimes us husbands, we know when we've made a mistake, only after our wives tell us that we've made a mistake. And here he knows, I've made a mistake. But years go by, years go by. And when God comes to Abram in 17 and tells him that no, 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 Ishmael is not the one I foretold, Abram is hurt. Oh, that Ishmael would be this one. So see, for 10 years, they lived in anxiety, wanting this to happen, and they became impatient with God, and so they devised their own plan. And then for another 15 years, they thought pretty highly of themselves. Sure, it was maybe a mistake that I'd taken Hagar, but I have a son, and his hope was in Ishmael, not in some future promised seed from, from his wife, from his barren wife. So see, for all those years, Abram's faith was misplaced. He was living works righteousness. He was trying to fulfill God's promise in his own way. And yet God comes to him and says, no, that isn't how it's going to work. And Abram's like, back to square one. 24 years ago, you told me I'd be a mighty nation, and now you're saying it's not Ishmael. What am I going to do? Well, he didn't have to do anything, did he? Because it wasn't in his power to do anything. The story of Abram and Sarai, who became Abraham and Sarah, is really a type of conversion. It's a not relying upon your own works and a reliance upon God. It's being in the flesh, being in your old nature, and being in the spirit, being in your new nature. It's a story of regeneration and sanctification. Because we know that Abraham had faith years and years and years earlier, and it was credited to him as righteousness. But yet he wasn't living out his faith. He was relying upon himself, upon his own works. He wasn't relying upon God. And yet God reminds him, 24 years later, you think you're in the home stretch, Abraham. And no, he rips all of it out from under him. And yet then very quickly he gives him the son that he had promised him. So that's what it means for us. When we see these stories, these types, it means the same thing for us as it did for Abraham. It means don't rely upon what you see. God is going to take that away from you. If you rely upon what you see, he will take it away because he wants your faith to grow. Your faith must be in him, not in yourself. So he'll take it away. So the degree to which we grow comfortable in our works is the degree to which we know God is going to take it away because he wants your faith to be in him. So God's word changed Sarah. She laughed when she heard this. And she laughed in scoffing. And yet it was quickly turned to faith. So then she laughed in joy. And Isaac's name is laughter. So he's a reminder to her, a reminder to us that this is how God works. This is how God works in all of our lives. So don't think that we're any different. We're just like Abram. We're unworthy of salvation. God comes to us, he saves us, and then he continues to sanctify us by his power. Now, God's word changes us. When God first comes to us, I can remember I've told some of you my salvation story, especially last Sunday, but initially I scoffed. Even with faith, I was still scoffing at God, thinking, I don't really know this God, and it makes me uncomfortable that I'm supposed to serve him. But yet that scoffing, is turned into loving. That which you initially identify with your culture 
you eventually abandon. You just further and further distance yourself from it. You become more and more sanctified to the Lord. You shun your culture. You shed that, and you embrace God. So as we learn uh, God's word, and as we have, are given faith to believe through the reading of that word, we come to this table each week. Why do we do this? Because it's evidence of our being different. It's evidence of what we want. What we want is not what this earth can give. What we want is what God can give, and God is not of this earth. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would grant us uh, obedience uh, to believe, obedience to obey. Uh, We pray, Lord, for faith, and we pray for courage. Uh, We live at a time when people uh, shun you, when people scoff at you. And, Lord, we ask for courage, that we would confront the scoffers, that we would uh, confront them with the truth. Your word is truth. May we know it. May we be able to present it clearly to the people who need to hear it. And we ask you, Lord, to have your Holy Spirit to bless this. It will be either converting these people or it will be heaping coals upon their head. But either way, you are glorified. And we thank you now, Father, for this table before us. We thank you for the fact that we are your children. And just like Abram and Sarai became Abraham and Sarah, we know, Lord, that you convert people from what they were to what you want them to become. And we ask you to do that with us in Christ's name. Amen.